Well, if you've been a Christian for more than a few minutes, you realize that even though uh, you're following Jesus, you will fail. You will not be perfect. There will be mistakes in your life. There will be uh, struggles to be obedient. And uh, today, that's what we are going to be looking at, the idea of finding a fix for our failures. Now, we fail because we still are battling the sin nature that's within us, and we're also dealing with the consequences of sin in the world, right? So people will do things that even if we're being obedient, we still will have to struggle with and, and we'll respond uh, in ways that uh, we can't please everybody. We can't uh, make everybody satisfied with uh, with who our, our sinful life is. Uh, and on a regular basis, I, I find myself struggling with this too. I mean, regularly, I am sitting uh, alone talking to God and saying, God, I feel disqualified for ministry. I feel like I can't do this. I feel like I'm not good enough. I feel like I can't do what I'm supposed to do. I'm not perfect, I, and I can't be perfect, and, and yet I still desire to be that way for you, and, and, and I've failed, and I've failed you in uh, different areas of my life. So I, I sit there, and I talk to God, and I say, God, how do I deal with this? Because I know you probably want me to continue, but I feel like I can't. And I know this is probably true for a lot of people in our church as well, because I ask you to uh, get involved in different ministries, whether that's VBS or uh, the middle school or high school youth ministry, the men's ministry or outreach teams. And uh, what I hear from a lot of people is that they say, you know, I just, I'm not sure if I'm the right person. I'm not sure if I'm good enough to do that. I'm not sure if I'm the person that, that you're looking for. And if we're true to our self, uh, I think we probably ask and say those things on a regular basis. I'm not good enough to do this, right? If we're being honest, that's what we will say. But something that we are going to look at today, and I think it's something that's important for us to identify, is that failure is not a destination. Failure is an event. It's a time that we've been flawed. We've made a mistake. Uh, we've made a mistake. And if we focus on the failure as a destination, that I am just a failure and that's all that I'll ever achieve, then we find ourselves never being able to do the things that God desires for us to do. If we look at ourselves and say, well, failure was an event. I failed in this event. We can look at God and say, well, even though I failed in this event, I know that you desire for me to continue. And we can look past that event in our life where we failed. So how are we to respond when we failed? Especially when we've hurt the ones we love deeply. Today, we're going to look at the rest of the story. We know what happened on Good Friday. We know what happened on Easter. But we're going to look at Peter. And how does he make it past the struggles that he dealt with? And I love Peter because Peter is so much like you and me, right? 
So often we find ourselves saying, oh God, I'll, I'll, I'll be there for you. I'll do this. I'll make it. And then 30 seconds later, <laughs> we're like, wait, I thought I said I was going to be there and I failed already, right? And Peter is so much like us. And uh, I know this is true for me. I find myself in the position of Peter on a regular basis where I just feel like I want to do everything for God. And then instantly I've failed. Now, one of the traditions that uh, we see with Peter is that uh, throughout the, the, the church history, we see some different traditions that pop up, and whether they're true or not, I'm not sure. I, I, I believe that this one probably is true. What we're told of Peter is that he would weep bitterly when he would hear a rooster crow. And that makes sense, right? And when Peter... Uh, would be asleep. He would wake up, and when he would wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm sure you guys never do that, wake up in the middle of the night. For Peter, when he would wake up in the middle of the night, the church tradition says that he would feverishly pray for one hour, for the one hour that he failed Jesus and fell asleep when he was supposed to be watchful and pray. Whether those are true or not, I would assume that they probably are, because I think I would probably feel the same way. If I knew that I denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed, when I would hear that rooster crow, I would think of the time that I failed Jesus. And when I would wake up in the middle of the night and think, man, I'm sleepy, I'm tired, I want to just sleep, I would think about the time that I failed Jesus. And I'd wake up and feverishly pray. Whether that's true or not, I'm not sure, but... I see a lot of Peter in me, and I think I would fall in that category as well. Well, in John chapter 21, we're going to see Peter's response to his failure. And we're going to see three steps that Jesus takes to reinstate Peter into the ministry that he was originally called. The first thing that we see is that Peter runs from his failure. We get that, right? We do that. I I see it early. Our poor choices uh, lead to even poorer responses. I see that in my children. They're not here so I can talk about them, right? Uh, I see that in my children when they do something that they know they're not supposed to do. What do they do? They run and hide under that blanket as if I can't see them. In the same way that Adam and Eve hid from God when they sinned. In the same way you and I run away when we have failed. We don't want to be around people. We just want to hide. We just want to, to process what we've done and stick in our guilt and run away from our struggles and hide from the things that we've done wrong. When I fail, I don't want to be around people in church. I don't want to be around my family. I just want to go hide and be alone and process things alone. And I'm sure this is true for most of you as well. Now, Peter does the same thing in in Luke, actually. We're going to pick up the story there. In Luke chapter 22, 56 uh, through uh, 63, we see that uh, a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the light 
and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. Right? And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly. This man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. And I, this part just, it breaks me, but I, I, I see this so much in me. But Peter uh, said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately... While he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. (laughs) And if that doesn't seem gut-wrenching right there, whether Jesus' body has already started to be bloody or battered, he looks at Peter as to say, Peter, do you recognize me now? Do you see me now? Do you know me now? And immediately, before the rooster crowed, Jesus looks at him. And before the rooster crows, uh, uh, Peter remembers what he was told by Jesus, that before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And, And this is what I think my response would be. And he went out and wept bitterly. He fled. He ran. He left and he went away to go weep because he knew he had the chance to stand up and say, this is my Jesus, this is my Savior, this is my God. And he walked away and wept bitterly. And Mark tells us that, uh, and it's a weird way that he states it, but as he's talking about the after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus had raised from the dead, and the women run to the tomb to go, or they, they go to the tomb to go put on new spices, right? And they realize the tomb is empty. And they're told, go tell Peter and the disciples that Jesus has risen, right? There's already a separation. Something had happened within the church where they already identify Peter as not part of the disciples. Go tell Peter and the disciples that Jesus had risen. Right? Peter had fled. Peter had left. And he went away weeping. He publicly disowned Jesus. And so when Mark tells us that uh, they were to go tell the disciples... They identify it as Peter and the disciples. There's a separation with Peter and the disciples. Peter wasn't around the disciples. He knew he had made a mistake. And the same way that I know when I make mistakes, I don't want to be around people that I'm supposed to have not let down. Peter runs from his failure. We actually see this in uh, John 21, verses 1 through 3. John 21, uh, and this is the text that we're, we're studying today, says this, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's another name for the Sea of Galilee. They were told to go to, the, to Galilee and wait for, for Jesus there. Uh, and so they go to the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, uh, 
Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. Boys, do you want to go fishing? Let's go fishing together. And they said to him, I, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Another way that, that Peter is kind of running. Now, here's the thing. I think uh, that Jesus had a nice personal meeting with Peter. Uh, we see that actually in a couple of different places that uh, Paul tells us that Jesus, after he had uh, risen, revealed himself to Peter and had a meeting with him, and it was a personal meeting, and I think that personal meeting was about this thing that he had done. And there was a personal restoration that had already happened. Now, we don't know what the details. That's not written about in Scripture other than it happened. We don't know why that, uh, we don't know what happened, we don't know well, how Jesus talked about this, but we do know that there was some sort of restoration that was happening because Peter is now with the disciples, and he's with them at the Sea of Galilee waiting for Jesus. And when we've sinned, when we've failed, to have a personal restoration is, is critically important. If we've done something that we know that we should have not done, when uh, we failed, we failed... Uh, either in a private setting or a public setting, we need to go and talk to somebody about it. We need to seek reconciliation. We need to have a resolution within our sin and, and be able to ask for forgiveness from God as well as those that we've hurt. And Jesus interacts with Peter. We don't know the details, but we do know that this happens. Now, Jesus is then telling Peter to go off to the, uh, with the uh, disciples uh, to Galilee and wait for him there. And so while he's out there, again, I think Peter, still not being fully reconciled within the church, within the group of disciples, within his people, right? He's still grieving. He's still dealing with this. And what better way to handle the struggles of sin and grief and uh, dealing with the consequences of making a mistake than saying, hey, let's just ignore it. Let's go fishing, <laughs> right? He's like, boys, let's go fishing. Let's just, let's, just, let's just go out and go fishing. Now, here's the thing. I think that uh, uh, Pastor Erwin Lutzer says it this way, and uh, I like the, the way that he says this. When we confess our sins, God throws our sins into the depths of the sea and then puts up a sign that reads, no fishing, right? And yet, Peter is still dealing with his grief, is saying, I think I'm going to go back to what I knew. I'm going to go back to fishing. I'm going to go back to, because I failed the church, I failed Jesus, even, even though Jesus is good with me now, I failed my position as somebody in ministry. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go back to what I knew. And I think in uh, an odd way, I think Peter's doing the same thing, where he's going out and seeking the grief, he's seeking the struggles that he's dealt with, he's seeking to, to, to dredge that stuff up and kind of process that. And yet God, when we confess our sins, throws those sins into the depths of the sea and says, no fishing. Stop trying to go after those. Stop trying to remember those. Stop focusing on those. I am not focused on those. You need to stop being focused on those. And so hard for us to be able to forgive ourselves when we've done something wrong. 
And it's hard enough to have other people forgive us for the things that we've done, but it's even harder, I think, for us to forgive ourselves for the sins that we've, uh, we've made, the, the problems that we've established, the, the consequences of sin that is uh, brought up on a regular basis that we br- bring up ourselves, and we just go away feeling miserable. So Peter runs from his failure and goes fishing. But Jesus doesn't want to leave Peter there. And so part of the three steps that Jesus has to bring uh, reconciliation in Peter into his ministry is the first thing that Jesus does is he reveals himself to Peter. Now remember, he revealed himself to Peter once before. He revealed himself here as well to Peter as well as the disciples. And then we see that this passage uh, continues in uh, 4 through 13. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know that he was Jesus. Now, there's a couple of places in here, by the way, that seem a little confusing. Apparently, Jesus's uh, look was different. They didn't recognize him. They couldn't quite tell. His physical features were not the same as the Jesus that they knew. So something happened, some sort of change in uh, his appearance. But what we are revealed about Jesus here is that this is truly Jesus. So Jesus reveals himself to Peter and the disciples. uh, And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no which is the last thing that you want to hear when you're fishing and you have no fish. Because remember, they're fishing all the way through the night, so they've been fishing all day, and how many fish do they got? Nothing, (laughs) right? Hey, children, you got any fish? (laughs) Not what you want to hear. He said to them, hey, cast your net on the other side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it now on... Uh, they were not able to, and sorry, so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now, why would this event cause them to think that? Because what happened in the beginning of them being called into ministry? They're out fishing all night long, right? And after fishing all night long, how much did they catch? Nothing. <laughs> Right, and so Jesus standing on the boat uh, or standing on the, the the shore while they're in the boat says, "Hey guys, as you're cleaning up your nets and like repairing them and getting everything uh, taken care of, how about instead of you like just coming in, how about you just throw the nets on the other side?" And Peter, kind of knowing Jesus and seeing some of the things that he's done before, says, "All right, we've been fishing all night long. We're tired, but because it's you, we'll throw our." nets on the other side. So they go out, throw the nets to the other side, and what happens? They bring in so much that they had to bring a second boat out and pull it in, right? And they had so much fish, and as they're pulling it in, they get to the shore, and Jesus said, hey, follow me. And so what did they do? They left everything and followed the call to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus is reaffirming this with them, right? And he's reaffirming to them that, hey, we have a mission. You are not to be fishermen. You are not to go back to being fishermen, even when things fail. You are not to go back to the lives that you used to have when you weren't a follower of Christ. And this is true for us too. 
when we fail, we can't just give up. We can't just say, well, you know, it just didn't work out for me. This isn't my thing. I, I guess this just isn't me. I'm just going to sit in the back and nobody bother bother me because I'm just going to fail anyways. I'm just a big nothing. I'm a big failure. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Don't go back to fishing. Don't go back to the life that you once lived. You can't. You are fishers of men. Now, at this point, I don't know if all of that's going through their head, but what I do know going through their head is they're saying, oh my goodness, that's Jesus. I remember this story. I remember what happened. And as they're pulling in the fish, we see that uh, they're, they're dragging it in. The, 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 the uh, nets aren't torn, but the load is so full that they can barely get it. But they're only about 100 yards off. And when they get on t- uh, to the, out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. And fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Now, do you guys remember how many fish there were the first time? Anybody? Well, so there was zero when they went out fishing, and then they pulled in 153 of them. How about the first time they were called? How many did they bring in after Jesus told them to throw the nets on the other side? It doesn't tell us. It just says it's a lot. (laughs) So much so that they had to have multiple boats come out and pull it in. This time, John tells us it's 153. That seems strange that he's telling us the number. But here's the reason, uh, well, I guess we'll get to that in a second. Just Keep that in, your, in mind, that this time he gives them a number of 153. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because <laughs> they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. So with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had revealed, uh, was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, here's an interesting thing. Why is it that they're getting zero when they go out on their own and they're bringing in so much fish that their nets should be tearing when Jesus gives them instructions and they follow him? Jesus is reminding them, without me, you'll have nothing. This life will be nothing without Jesus. It doesn't matter how much you accomplish, you will have nothing. But if you follow Jesus and you obey Jesus and you are obedient to Jesus, you will have so much blessing that you won't know what to deal with it or how to deal with it. If we try to live this life on our own, you will have nothing. And when we find ourselves saying, God, you know what, I'm not good enough, I'm not special enough, I'm not accomplished enough, I'm not capable of doing this, I have sinned, I have hurt people, God, I don't want to be in that position anymore. I don't need this in my life. You will go to the end of your life and you will say, God, I wasted it. All for nothing. But if we are obedient to God... And even when we fail, we turn back and go back after him and continue to do the things that he desires for us to do and we follow him, your net will be full.
There was failure until the disciples followed Jesus. And there will be failure if we choose not to be obedient to Jesus. So even if we fail while we're obedient to Jesus, the blessings that we receive from being obedient, even through failure, are so much greater. After a failure, I believe that God will reveal himself to you. He will reveal the truth of how you are to respond. He will reveal the truth of how you are supposed to interact, what you need to do. And it's going to kick you in the gut until you do it. And you're going to hate it. Because you're not going to want to do it. And you know what you're going to want to do? You're going to want to go fishing. You're going to want to run. You're going to want to hide. You're going to try to throw that blanket over your head. But it is not going to go away. Jesus reveals himself to the disciples three times. This is the third time that Jesus has revealed himself to the disciples. And Jesus is calling them to do something that's very challenging. Now, here's the thing. Jesus restored Peter publicly. That's the second step that Jesus took. Now, this isn't a public humiliation. This isn't a stand-up front, blame, shame, guilt people into doing the right thing. This was purely a public reconciliation, a restoration. Because what did Peter do when he denied Jesus? He denied Jesus publicly. The disciples knew. The church knew. There was a separation that happened, right? There was a, a separation that, that occurred within the church, within Peter, and even as Mark said, right? Go tell Peter and the disciples. Peter wants to go fishing. Peter wants to hide. I want to hide. I don't want to be there. I don't want to continue to do ministry when I know that I've failed. And I don't want to see the people that I know I'm supposed to go take care of. I'm supposed to go restore myself to. I'm supposed to go reconcile with. I'm supposed to go apologize to. Not any more than I know you don't want to do that either. But Peter, what he did was public. So here's the interesting thing. There was a charcoal fire, right? That's what we just read that Jesus is standing around a charcoal fire. Why a charcoal fire? Why does John list that this is a charcoal fire? Many other instances throughout the Bible, it says there's a fire. That's good enough. Two times in the New Testament, we see charcoal fire used. First time, we see it in John 18, 18. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. And who was with them? Who was standing around a charcoal fire? Peter. Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. This is right before he denies Jesus three times. So Jesus, have you ever had that smell like a smell that happens that brings back memories. Every once in a while, I get the smell of the specific type of soap. And I'm brought back to my grandparents' house in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Their 
uh, bathroom upstairs. It's the only bathroom that smelled like this. It's the only place that I've ever really smelled this, except for occasionally when I get the smell of this soap. And whatever that soap was, that nostalgia comes back to me. I remember the summers that I spend with my grandparents eating bratwurst and uh, hanging out at doing picnic-y stuff with my grandparents throughout the summer every Thursday night. I remember doing that. And that soap triggers that. You guys ever had that feeling? Maybe it's not soap and maybe it's not your grandparents' house. Um, Charcoal. Charcoal fires. That is a, a specific smell, doesn't it? I think that's what Jesus is doing here. I think Jesus is triggering Peter, triggering the, the memory that Peter has. And he's showing him the other time that the charcoal fire happens in John 21 here. Hey, Peter, remember? Remember that time that you denied me? John continued the narrative uh, with John 21, 15 through 17, when Jesus asks Peter three important questions. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to, to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, it's kind of vague. What are these? Do you love me more than these? There's a couple of options. I mean, there's actually probably lots of options because these kind of really is anything. But I think there's two things that make a lot of sense. One is possibly the disciples. Because remember Peter? Remember Peter always saying, you know, all these other guys, these other disciples that you've called, they'll fail you. But me, no way. No way will I ever fail you. Right? I'll be there. I'll be there till the end. I will be there. I will go to prison for you. I will go to death for you. I will be there for you. Right? So it's possible that Peter uh, is being reminded, and Jesus is looking at the other disciples and saying, do you love me more than these? That's possible. I actually, I think that's a really good option. But I also think the option that makes more sense to me is why would John now identify 153 fish. 153 smelly, slippery fish that they just brought in. And to me, it makes sense that Jesus is looking at those fish. And he's saying, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than the fishing that you would do? Do you love me more than the job that you think you want, need to go back to? Do you love me more than these? And Peter, this isn't a, a public humiliation. This is a question. This is Jesus saying, hey, do you want to be a fisher of men or do you want to be a fisherman? And Peter responds, He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And I think that personal meeting that he had with Jesus, this was already affirmed. I think Jesus already said, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter probably said, yeah, I love you. I'm sorry I failed. Right? Well, this is public. And why is this public? Because what he did was public. 
He denied Jesus publicly three times. When they had, uh, sorry, uh, in, in verse uh, 15, halfway through, he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. So if you love me, what is he supposed to do? He's supposed to, to take care of his disciples, take care of the people, take care of the church. If you love me, just like I'm feeding you, you need to feed the church. You need to feed the disciples. You need to feed the people who are following me. You need to feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said it a third time. Now, John, John likes to use patterns. He uses the I am statements of Jesus. He has seven of them. He uses seven I am statements that are just affirmations of things that Jesus uh, claims that he is. And then, uh, in addition, we see a lot of threes. Now, how many times did Peter fall asleep on Jesus? Three times when he was supposed to be praying. Three times he fell asleep when he was supposed to stay and watch and pray before he uh, went to the cross. Jesus told Peter to stay and watch. Three times he, he fell asleep. Three times he denied Christ. And in this situation, three times he asks him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Now, he didn't say, Peter, you're a terrible person that you denied me. You denied me. You denied me. What he's supposed to do, the, the, the affirmation that he needs, the challenge that he needs, the challenge that you need, the challenge that I need, is do you love Jesus? Do you love God? Because if you love God, you will continue to do the things that you need to do. You will feed the sheep. And as a result, that's what Peter has asked three times. Do you love me? And after Peter is deeply grieved, he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus, uh, or he said, "Uh, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And this was the third time. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when, or when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus does three things. Jesus reveals himself to Peter. Jesus restores Peter publicly. And then we see that Jesus releases Peter from his guilt. Jesus releases Peter from his guilt. He still felt guilty. He still didn't want to do the ministry that he was called to do. He still wanted to to sit there and grieve. He wanted to go fishing. He wanted to hide. But Jesus releases Peter when he says to him, feed my sheep. Why did he tell him to feed his sheep? Because Peter's responsibility was to be a disciple first and foremost, to be a, uh, 
an apostle to the, the, the church. He was now uh, recommissioned, reinstated as somebody who was to be doing the ministry that God had called him to do. There was no question any longer. Sometimes we question this, like, oh, is this person, should, should we put them in a position of leadership? Should we put them in a position where uh, they could fail? Should we put them in a position where they might uh, make a mistake again? This was not a question any longer. For Peter, he was given the responsibility of feeding the sheep. Jesus didn't say, hey, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? All right, prove it. Right? Do you love me? All right, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? All right, feed the sheep. He now was reaffirmed. And the guilt that he dealt with had no longer any hold on him. He was now given this responsibility to go out and do this. Peter, you failed me when you were in the garden, and I asked you to pray. And Peter failed him in his idleness. Peter, you failed me in the upper room when you were, said you would die for me. Peter failed him with pride. Peter, you failed me when you had thought that you could fight your way out of this and you sliced off Malchus's ear. Peter failed him in his anger. Peter failed Jesus in the courtyard when he denied Jesus three times around that charcoal fire. Peter failed Jesus with his fear. But Jesus released Peter from his guilt. And he released Peter into the ministry that he was originally called. Now, here's another reason why we know this is from John 21, 8 through 19. And that's where Jesus tells him of how he's going to die. Right? Truly, truly, I say to you that when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But whenever, uh, when you're old, when you are done with the ministry that you've been called to do, when you're done doing the things that I tell you to do, when you're done doing the feeding of the sheep that I'm calling you to do, when that time happens, you're going to stretch out your hands and another person will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. How would he be hung on a cross when he gets old? Only if he was following the one who was hung on a cross. Only if he actually did what he said he was going to do. God, Jesus, I'm going to follow you till the end. Nobody else is going to, to do the way that I did. I'm going to be the one that, that by far and away will go to the cross for you. Did he fail Jesus? Yes. Does that mean that his destination was failure? No. It was a one-time event. It was a two-time event. It was a 78-time event. I don't know. Uh, seven times 70, <laughs> right? We fail Jesus on a regular basis. But does that mean that we say we are a failure and we cannot do this? And we pack up our bags and we go fishing? No. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with fishing. <laughs> don't throw me under the bus here. We're, we're still on board. Fishing is good. I like fishing. But if you're fishing... 
to run away from Jesus, then yeah, that's wrong. In the same way that if you're not serving to run away from the people that you failed, then that's wrong. And if we are doing things to flee from our failures instead of being restored, then yeah, that's wrong. Peter wasn't going to give up this time. We see that because we know, uh, not only because of church tradition, but because of what Jesus tells him, that he was going to die on a cross. Peter didn't fail. Peter didn't give up. The destiny that Peter was on was to glorify God through dying on a cross for Jesus. And Jesus' response was the same as when it was in the beginning, the same response that he gives all who are called to follow him. He says, hey, follow me. It's going to hurt. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. You're going to make mistakes. Follow me. If you have a situation in your life that you're running from, that you're trying to escape from, that you're trying to flee from, today's the day to stop running. Running will not take away the regret, and it will not make anything better about the situation. It doesn't allow you to be reconciled to God. It doesn't allow you to be reconciled to the people that you've hurt or the people that have hurt you. Jesus restored Peter after he revealed himself to him, and Jesus releases Peter from his guilt in the same way that he will release you from your guilt. And my prayer for you is that at the end of the day, whether that's today, immediately following the service, or right in the middle of worship, that you will be able to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Let's pray. God, you are an amazing God, and even when we fail you, you still turn to us and reveal yourself to us, and you show us the way to be reconciled. And you restore us and you release us from the guilt that we want to hold on to, that we want to go fishing for. God, if there's anybody here today who's like Peter, who just feels like they can't get rid of this guilt, I pray, God, that you would help them to stop running, that you would help them to see what your desire is for them, that you would reveal yourself to them, reveal your love to them, and God, I pray that they would be ready to say that I love you. I pray for anybody who doesn't know Jesus, who's never had this uh, relationship with Jesus, that today would be the day that they would turn to you, that they would trust Jesus to die, who died on the cross for their sins, that they would trust Jesus, that his penalty was sufficient for them, and that they would find hope today that they couldn't find trying to, to uh, dig up any, any other place. God, we love you very much. And we pray that your love would be showering everybody here and showering us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.